Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, my name is Adam. I'm the pastor here. Good to have you with us this morning. Hey, we are starting a new series for the month of July. We're going to be spending five weeks in the Psalms. Five weeks in the Psalms. So if you're wondering what we're going to do, that's what we're going to do. But before we jump into this morning's passage, uh, I, I want to start here. And Seth, I think I have a slide for this. I want to give people a little outline here. Right at the beginning, what's the best song of all time? Philosophy 101 and the importance of a frame. So this is what we're doing right up top. Number one, what's the best song of all time? Number two, philosophy 101. Number three, the importance of a frame. So we'll just start with number one. What's the best song of all time? Stairway to heaven. Depend. American Pie. It's too long. That's vetoed. Anybody from this side have a suggestion? Nothing. All along the watchtower. A lot of, lot of, lot of, I think Andrew said, who let the dogs out? Just got to put that on the, got to put that on the audio archive there. Spent a little time looking at uh, the Rolling Stone updated list of the 500 best songs of all time. Peter Gabriel, Salisbury Hill, number 32. Number 32. Uh, what about, what about Bismarcky? Just a friend. You guys know this song? It's higher than you think. Where do you think Bismarcky, Just a Friend is at? You're way off. 21. And you say, Just a friend. Oh, baby, please. You got what I need. But you got to do this. When you sing that song, you got to do this. And what's great about that song is Bismarck is a terrible singer. I was actually thinking about like how he's not a great singer. And you got on the Rolling Stone top 500, he's number 21. I'm like, that's the genius of that song. And here's what's weird about that song. You'll be singing it all day long now. It's a real earworm. Cindy Lauper, time after time. It's, it's number 11. Number 11. Number 11. Uh, who knows what the number one song is, though? This, is, this was so shocking to me. <laughs> Harry Nielsen, Without You. Number one. Yeah. Yeah, it's really weird. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think so, but, but when you go back and you go, oh, what is that? And then you listen to it, you're like, oh, yeah, I know that song. And it's literally in everything. And it's, it's a great song. Best song of all time. Well, I wanted to start with this question because I wanted us to get thinking here this Sunday morning about what really, really lasts. Like what stands, what stands the test of time? Uh, you got the pyramids in Egypt. Uh, you've got, you got Shakespeare's plays. Uh, and then you have, you have songs. Uh, and it's amazing when we think about the things that really, really remain through time, it's amazing how many of the things that actually last are, are expressions of art. 
Like the things that really last, they're oftentimes uh, expressions of art. Uh, here's a question I have for the room. How long will human beings be singing Just a Friend or Time After Time? I mean, like we know it now, right? Time After Time is from the 80s. You know, will they sing it for another 100 years? In 100 years from now, will anybody know it? Maybe. I mean, the truth is maybe. We don't know yet, right? We just don't know. Maybe. Maybe they will. Maybe it'll last. We don't know. It's lasted 40 years. Maybe it'll last another 100. What about... What about strawberry fields forever? In a hundred years, in a hundred years, will people, will people be humming on a Saturday morning while they make the bacon to strawberry fields forever? Some, some. Well, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Uh, let's go to philosophy 101. How many of you remember philosophy 101 when you were in school? Anybody remember that? What are, what are some of the topics covered in philosophy 101? I'm sorry, say that again. Teleological argument. argument, Meaning like, what's the point? What's the telos, baby? Uh, Here's some other things that are in philosophy 101. Like basic logic. Uh, Maybe maybe a chapter or two on ethics. Like what's good and how do you know that it's good? And then there's there's always something in philosophy 101 about free will and determinism. And then... Eventually, you get to epistemology, which is just a a fancy way of saying, how do you know what you know? Like, how do you know what you know? You think, well, you know something, but how do you know that, right? Some of this stuff that's in Philosophy 101, and eventually, if you take a class like that, somebody in the room starts poking around at the meaning of life, (laughs) right? It's what happens. It comes up in all these conversations. You can't talk about how do you know what you know. You can't talk about the telos. You can't talk about ethics. You can't talk about what is good without eventually getting to, like, what is the meaning of life? Or, or maybe, maybe another question would be, what is, an act, what is a good life? What is a good life? That's, that's something that kind of pops up. Really big stuff. Okay, we'll come on back to that in a moment. Now I want to talk to you about, for a second about the importance of a frame. Uh, how many of you have seen that video? It comes up occasionally on the TikToks. How many of you have seen that video of Yo-Yo Ma playing in the New York City subway? Anybody seen that? So Yo-Yo Ma, like he's world-class orchestral cellist. He, he just sits up like a busker in the New York City subway and he's playing the most beautiful music. And what are the people around him doing? There's walking past. <laughs> Right? Like maybe the night before, maybe the night before he played at Carnegie Hall where people paid hundreds of dollars and put on tuxedos and then he's in the subway and no one's paying attention. Right? Uh, it, it's, it's really a lesson in this idea that, that, the, that the platform something is on or the frame in which it inhabits either adds to or detracts from the thing that's actually being put on display. Does that make sense? A, a couple days ago, uh, I was in a museum And I was looking at some famous pieces of art and I heard a guy behind me ask his girlfriend this question about a Van Gogh painting. It was actually really, really profound. He said, he said to his girlfriend, he said, if that painting, he's pointing at the Van Gogh, he said, if that painting were not in a frame in this amazing room, do you think we'd still be attracted to it? I thought that was pretty, I was like, okay, that's a sermon. That's a sermon. Great question. 
Here's what I want to say about that. All the real stuff needs a frame. Uh, Everything needs an edge to work from, uh, including your life. Including your life. Well, here's what I want to do this morning. Uh, This series, we're going to spend five weeks in the Psalms. And and here's why we're going to spend five weeks in the Psalms. Uh, Number one, uh, for starters, these are the prayers and the songs that the people of God have been praying and singing for over 3,000 years. Years. You know, I was asking you a moment ago, will just a friend or will Cindy Lauper time after time, will that be sung in a hundred years? The answer is we don't know, but in the Psalms, we have 150 prayers and songs that have lasted 3,000 years. And here's what that means. It means these are the good ones. These are, these are the good ones. Uh, by the way, uh, here's what I believe. These are not the only Psalms that were written. These are the good ones. These are like the really, really good ones. They're distilled. They're like, they're like the mash at Maker's Mark. Everything was put in, but the thing that, come, the, the thing that comes out clear and stout are, are these 150 songs and these 150 prayers. And, and here's why that's important. Because, because if it lasts for 3,000 years, every single one of them is saying something that you need. These are the good ones. These are the good ones. They're saying something that you need. Number two, the Psalms contain all the real questions and wrestles of life. Everything that philosophy 101 tries to stir up, it's in the Psalms. All of it's there. All the big questions, all the big wrestles. There's plenty of beauty and there's plenty of worship in the Psalms, but there's also a lot of pain and confusion. And here in this series, we're going to hit all of it. So here in this series, we're going to do all the high praise, but we're also going to do the low, low pain cave stuff. Because here's the truth. This morning, some of you guys are at high praise, but some of you guys are in pain cave. And what we need is we need the language of both because your life is going to experience it at some point. The great questions of life eventually find every single person in the room. And even if you don't have the answers, you can at least have the prayers. You know, when the questions come, even if you don't get, if you, if you don't have the answer, that's fine. At least you could have the prayer. Sometimes, this is what I've found, sometimes what you need is another person's words. Uh, there are pain caves that you will eventually go to in your life where you don't have words to pray and you need someone else's words to pray for you. And you just go, well, God, I don't have any words this morning, but I can come to these And we can trust it because these are the ones that have lasted for over 3,000 years, and we know that they're the good ones. It's the strawberry fields forever, and we know that it's the good stuff, right? Uh, In seasons of life, when you're empty, the Psalms can fill you up. That's what the church knows. When you're the most empty, there's language that can fill you up. You You don't have to create it in the morning. You don't have to be spontaneous. You can just say, you know what? I'm at the bottom. Here's somebody else's that was at the bottom and had a question. Okay, and then number three In order to give this series the best chance of touching the most people, we wanted to give it a bit of structure. That's back to that frame thing again. Uh, There's lots of different kinds of frames, many kinds of themes in the Psalms, but here's what we want to do for the next five weeks. Seth, I think I have a slide for it. These are the five Sundays that we're going to do. Number one, Thanksgiving. Number two, lament. Number three, ascent. Number four, imprecatory. That's a fancy word for cursing. Number five, Messianic. There's a lot of different kinds of Psalms, 
but we're, we're going to look at these kinds over the next five weeks because these are really, really common reoccurring themes in the Psalms. We're going to look at Thanksgiving. Next week, we're going to look at lament, like life at the bottom, pain cave. Then we're going to look at ascent. Uh, there's a whole section of the Psalms that they would pray as they were going up to Jerusalem for high festivals and feasts. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna enter into what does it mean to go see the Lord? Like, what does it mean to be a part of the people of God who are on a journey and a pilgrimage? Uh, and then number four, uh, we're going we're gonna to pick up some of the imprecatory cursing psalms. Uh, what, what do you say when life afflicts you? Or what do you say when, when your neighbor afflicts you, right? And then we're going to look forward to uh, the coming Messiah as well. So that's our frame for the next five weeks. If you're a note taker, take it. Today... Today, we're going to look at a psalm of thanksgiving. We're going to look at Psalm 100. Seth, maybe you can put that up for me. We'll go ahead and read it. It goes like this. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness and come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He has made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Psalm of thanksgiving. Psalm 100 this morning. We have another little frame that I want to give this section. I think I have a slide for it, Seth. Three parts. Here's how we want to unpack this. Psalm this morning, number one, is God a narcissist? Number two, reality. Number three, good news. We'll start with, is God a narcissist? Seth, maybe you can put that first slide back up. Uh, I wanted to ask this question because it's how the text begins. The psalmist says, shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness and come before him with singing and with joy. And one of the questions that you have to ask at some point in the Psalms is this one which is, is God a narcissist? I mean, what kind of person allows this kind of phrase and these kinds of verses to be in his book? You know, you ever thought about that? Is God insecure? Like, why would, why would God have in his book a command from the psalmist telling us to worship him? Like, does, does he need it? This is something to think about. Look, does God need you to worship him so that he feels good? Does, is God filling up some sort of deficiency and so he, he commands people to, to give him the thing, the thing he needs? And, and I hope you notice that in the text this morning that the psalmist begins not only with a command, but it's like, it's like real prescriptive. You know, you got to shout to God. Uh, you got to come before him. with you know, Bring some gladness, people, you know? Uh, singing and joy. And, uh, and so there's this question, what is God like? Or why is, why is worship a command in the scripture? Well, the first thing I just want to say is, of course, God is not a narcissist. God is not a narcissist. God is not insecure. God is not small. God is not petty. And, and here's the other part. Uh, God doesn't even need worship. He doesn't need it. Uh, and the reason that God doesn't need it is because God has no needs. Uh, God is perfectly happy. He is a self-sufficient community within himself. Uh, he has not 
Uh, he doesn't have any of those kinds of needs. Uh, and in fact, we know this because of a few things that the Bible says. Number one, 1 John says that God is love. And then the life of Christ showed us that God incarnate, uh, the God who is love, that Jesus, that he came to serve. That's what Jesus says. He's like, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And then we see in John 3, 16, that most famous scripture, that God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his son. So we see in John 3, 16, that God is a giver. So God is love in, in, in God incarnate in Jesus Christ. He came to serve. Uh, we see that the father comes to give. We see later in the, in the gospel of John that the Holy Spirit is known as the advocate or the helper. So, so here's what we have. We have that, that God is love and we see both from the father, the son and the spirit that God's kind of love is other focused. So it's not just that, that God is love. God is not just like an ethereal feeling spread out through the universe, but God is the action and he is moving toward other people. That's who God is and that's what God's love is like. God is a giver, Jesus is a servant and the spirit is an advocate. And he allows these words, he allows these words to be in his book because worship and praise are not something he needs, but worship and praise are something that we need. Like, like how, how do we become truly human? We become truly human as, as we enter into worship and as we enter into uh, the joy and gladness in the presence of God. God deserves worship, but he doesn't need it. Instead, there's something about our human frame that needs to give voice to worship. Like it's, it's what you need. It's what I need. You won't be human until you begin to really open up your life and worship God. Uh, just one side note here. Everybody's already worshiping something. Like that's just the way it is. Human beings are, are, are created to worship. Everybody in here has a God. Uh, everyone in here is giving the best of their heart and their energy to something. Like how, how do you know? How do you know you begin to ask these kinds of questions? What do, I, what do I think I need to be okay? That's the thing you're always serving. That's the thing you're always serving. But the psalmist tells us to worship God because it's what we need. And, and here's why that's important. It has something to do with reality. We need to worship because in order to actually do this, in order to actually shout with joy to the Lord or worship with gladness or come before him with singing, we have to be in some way in touch with reality. That's why this is such a big deal. Being a worshiper always grounds you back into reality. You might ask yourself, well, what is, what is reality? Here's what reality is. There is a God and I'm not him. Yeah, so every time we come to worship on a Sunday morning, when we begin to sing, when we begin to enjoy the people of God, when we hear the text, when we call in response, pray, when we give any measure of glory to God, what we're doing is, is we're coming back into touch with reality and the reality that, that grounds every other reality is this. There is a God and I am not him. As Ray Hollenbach often says, that's the beginning of mental health. There is a God and I am not him. You have to get in touch with ultimate reality. You know, uh, the ground floor of reality is, is that. And some of us here today, we feel like, we feel like that things are shaking around us. Anybody, anybody here ever feel like the world is shaking? Let me, let me just throw a few things out for you. Like, what do we believe, what do we really believe about who's good in Russia and Ukraine? 
What do you believe? Here's another question. How do you know? How do you know? How do you know? So many thousand miles away. Uh, Here's another question for you this morning that sometimes shakes people up. Uh, What's the right way to educate your children? Yeah. Your kids have this one shot, you know, and you, you you need to educate them. It's true. Your kids do have one shot. Moms, dads, it's a big deal. There'll they'll probably be a second chance, but it's never as good as the first one. You know? God's good. He's merciful. But what are you going to do? How are you going to raise your kid? What are you going to teach them? You're going to keep them at home? You're going to send them to public school where the wild animals are? You're going to do private school? Got any money for that? Is it even any good? Are they just going to be indoctrinated into craziness? Like, how do, how do you know what... We're back to philosophy, aren't we? How do you know? How do you know what you know? Well, if you keep them at home, are they just going to be weirdos? Don't they need interaction with other kids? How do you know? Everybody's like, well, I was fine, but now it's starting to shake, Adam. (laughs) I know. Existential grief. It's coming for us all, right? How, How do you deal with a string of disappointments? Like maybe this morning your life is going pretty good, but... You know, you live long enough, there'll be some disappointments. And sometimes it's not just like a disappointment, it's like a season of disappointments. You get a string of them, you know? And you're like, all of a sudden, the, the ground underneath you is shaking. Or, or how do we pay our bills and feed our family? There's a question. Maybe in the last, maybe in the last three years, you haven't gotten a raise. But how many of you know that, that everything else has gone up and it doesn't care about whether or not you got a raise? <laughs> How many of you have gone to the grocery and thought, how are we going to do this? Have you? Because I have. My kids are bottomless pits and they're getting big. For whatever, why can't we have many ones? Yeah. That wasn't a shot at Seth. Yeah. Or how about this? How do we live in an increasingly fractured world? How do you live in an increasingly fractured world where everybody, like, it's it's so Old Testament. You remember that phrase in the Old Testament where it says, every man did what was right in his own eyes? Guys, we're back to that. By the way, it's the book of Judges. Tough book. We're back. I was walking outside the other day, uh, coming out of Kroger, and there were, like, all of these termite flying ants. Did you guys see that? I'm like, what is going on? They were, like, attacking my face. They were literally all over the parking lot. I'm like... The plagues are back. The plagues are back. How do you live in an increasingly fractured world? Well, let let me tell you how you live in an increasingly fractured world when everything is unstable around you. You you set your feet back onto bedrock. And how do you do that? Here's how you do that. You worship. That's how you do that. Because the ultimate reality is, is there is a God in heaven and you and I are not him. Go back to that. That's why we come to church. That's why we lift up the name of the Lord. That's why we sing. That's why we receive communion. That's why we fellowship with the saints. That's why we read the scriptures because we come back again over and over to this reality. There is a God and I am not him. And it doesn't matter how much shakes, we can always plant our feet on that. Worship means we're operating from reality. It means means we're entering into that which is unshakable, that there is a God. But what if that reality wasn't just an action that springs from revelation? I want you to listen really close to what I'm about to say, okay? What if that reality, that there is a God and I'm not him, what if that is not just 
is not just, is not just a revelation that gives a response, which is worship, right? What if the reality wasn't just an action that springs from revelation, but what if, what if worship were also an action that leads to revelation? I think, I think there's something for us in, in, in Psalm 100 this morning. Maybe Seth, we could put it back up there for a second. I think there's something in Psalm 100. I, I, I think there's this, this circular, this circular kind of prism almost, if, if you have ears to hear it, and it works something like this. When you get a revelation of God, you will worship. When you get a revelation of ultimate reality, it leads the heart to worship. But here's what I also believe. I believe that worship can give you a revelation of ultimate reality. What if it were an action that also leads to revelation? What if worship declaring the goodness of God could also open your eyes? And what if singing showed us life as it really was? And what if every Sunday was an opportunity to regain perspective and encounter his faithfulness? Uh, I love this quote from the artist Chuck Close. Inspiration is for amateurs. I love that. Inspiration is for amateurs. Like, like sometimes, sometimes we, 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 we come to church and we think, well, I'll worship when, when I, when I, like, I, I'll worship when I feel like it, right? You know, I'll worship when, on the days when I, when I have a vision of, of God's goodness, you know, when, when something's going good and I feel the presence of God, well, then I can worship. And I, I just want to say, man, that kind of inspiration, that's for amateurs. Uh, worship when you're at the bottom of the barrel. Uh, worship when everything is shaking. Worship when you don't know how to pay the bills and you don't know if anybody on the news is telling you the truth. And worship when your kids are going nuts. And worship if, if, if you've got a ton of questions and there's a string of disappointments because that is a way to get back into ultimate reality. When you can't find it, you could sing yourself into it. Sometimes we're waiting for the feelings, but what if we could position our hearts for the feelings? You know? N.T. Wright, he's like a Bible guy. Bible guy, N.T. Wright. Uh, he, he wrote a book called The Case for the Psalms. And he says that the main project of the Psalms is something like this. They keep us in touch with reality. They keep us in touch with a biblical worldview. And I love the way that N.T. Wright sort of frames this. He says, he says, we have this idea that as modern Western Americans, that we're modern. And when we mean when we talk about modernity, we mean a few things. We mean like we're progressive and we're scientific and we know stuff. And that the main difference for us between our worldview and maybe the ancient worldview of the psalm writers and the psalm prayers is, is that like we're modern, we're scientific, and we know stuff and we're progressive. And he, he would say, you know, a lot of times we think that about ourselves and we think about them. Well, they're like ancient and they're, you know, they're superstitious and, and they believe that, you know, uh, they had to do weird stuff to get crops or to have a baby or, you know, whatever. And we've just sort of like moved on for that. And he thinks he was saying, you know, a lot of times we think that's the division in terms of worldview. And he says, that's actually not the division in terms of worldview. And, and furthermore, uh, the Psalms and, and, and the scriptures in general, but especially the Psalms, is a way to re-engage 
re-engage the biblical worldview. And the biblical worldview is something like this. It's, it's the worldview of a, of a monotheistic good creator. And he's like, even in the ancient world, there were many worldviews. So you have, you have the, the worldview of a monotheistic uh, good creator, God. And then you have these other competing worldviews. Uh, you have things like the Epicurean Curian worldview. And the Epicureans were, were essentially people who thought something like this, that there is a God, maybe, we don't know. Maybe there's a God or maybe there's not. And maybe there's a creation. But if, if there is a God, he's distant and he doesn't really care about it. It's the idea that there's this watch, but maybe the watchmaker doesn't really care about it, right? And the best that a person could do is just, is just do the best you could, try to bring some goodness in life, but it's kind of up to you. And, and then there's another ancient worldview, which would be like hedonism, which is, you know, maybe there's a God, maybe there's not, maybe there's some gods, they don't really like us. So the best you could do is what? Eat, drink, and be merry, because why? Tomorrow you'll be dead. And then in the midst of these competing worldviews, which were all happening in the time of the Psalms and the psalmist, you have the people of God and the people of God are saying, no, there's, there's not many gods and there's not a distant watchmaker and the telos of life is not to do the best you can on your own and the telos of life is not to eat, drink and be merry because tomorrow you die. Instead, there is a God. I am not him. That God is good and the goal of my life is to wake up to this more and more and yield myself to his care. Seth, maybe we can put the scripture back up. Worship the Lord. Look at what it says. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. See this? Everything we've been talking about this morning. There is a God. Next line. He made us and we're his. What is the psalmist saying? I'm not God. And not only is he saying, I'm not God. He's saying, I belong to someone. We're the sheep of his pasture. The sheep of his pasture. There is a God. He made the world. He's good and he is kind. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to preach some good news to you really quickly. Here's what I want to say to the church. You are not the result of your own will and brilliance. And this is good news. This is what the Bible would say to us this morning. You, you are not simply the result of your own will and brilliance. Here's the other thing I want to tell you this morning. You are not simply the result of your parents' partnership. It's a very diplomatic way of saying that. I was very, I was very proud of how I framed that. You're not the result of your own will and brilliance. You're not the result of your parents' partnership Instead, here's what every single person is in the room. You, you are a dream that lived in eternity in the heart of God. There is a God, you are not him. And this God is good. And he dreamed every single person who is in this room this morning. You were a dream that was eternally alive in his heart. Uh, he is the shepherd and you are the sheep. And he, he desires to care for you and to lead you. I love, can we put the next slide up, Seth? I love the, the language that is, and this is all over the Old Testament and the New Testament. By the way, Jesus read this. Listen to what it, what it says here. It says, we can go into his gates with thanksgiving. Uh, the Lord is good. Uh, there, in the first slide, it talks about we're the sheep of his pasture. 
right? We're the sheep of his pasture. There is a God. We're not him. He is good. He wants to care for us. You belong to him. Uh, And here's what I want you to know this morning. Uh, Maybe you had good parents. And if you had good parents, praise the Lord. Or maybe you had a rough family and a difficult time. Here's what I need you to know this morning. You belong to God. Uh, Even more than you belonged to a good family or a bad family, you belong to God. You belong to God. Uh, You are not here because you were brilliant. You are not here because you made yourself. No one chose to be born. You were a dream in the heart of God. You belong to him. You are his. And just like the shepherd cares for his sheep, God has cared for you and wants to continue to care for you. And it doesn't matter if you're young or old. God wants to shepherd your life. And here's what it means when God says he wants to shepherd your life. Two specific things. He wants to lead you and he wants to feed you. This is why these, these images of shepherding are all over the Bible. It's not just they were ancient Middle Eastern people. It, they're very specific. And there's a reason why Jesus says he's the good shepherd, by the way. Uh, here's one of the reasons. It's because he knows Psalm 100. Jesus grew up reading and praying Psalm 100. That language didn't just pop into his head out of nowhere. He was living in, he was living in a long tradition of prayer that had been handed down to him. When, when Jesus says he's the good shepherd and when the psalmist says there is a God and, and that we're the people of his pasture, we're the sheep of his pasture, this is two things that God is saying to us this morning. He wants to lead you and he wants to feed you. And how many of you know that eventually in your life you're going to need somebody who has better and bigger perspective to tell you what to do and where to go? And how many of you know that sometimes you're going to need somebody to tell you where the food is, like where the nourishment is, like not just, not just Kroger, but where the nourishment for your soul, the things that will keep you alive. Here's what I want you to know this morning. God wants to lead you and God wants to feed you and he wants to take you to still waters and he wants to lead you to peaceful streams. He's the good shepherd. And instead of demanding life from the sheep for himself, uh, we know that Jesus says he lays down his life for the sheep. This is good news. So even today, even today, for everybody in the room, even, even today, uh, the good news for everybody in the room is that God is God. We are not him. And the God who is God is a good God who wants to shepherd and he wants to care. And for that reason, we can respond to him with thanksgiving, with gratitude, and with worship. You know, the, the shepherd God that that, that rules and reigns over us is, is not one who demands the life of the sheep for himself. Instead, he gives his life for the sheep. And this is good news this morning. Uh, we, can expect, we can expect the life of God to come to us. We can expect the leadership of God. We can expect the kindness of God. And we can expect his nourishment and his refreshing. And so what I'd love to do this morning is I'd love to invite you to stand and, and to land this service this morning, uh, we're actually going to receive communion. And what we're going to do is we're going to receive the food from his table. So if you're on the band, come on up. And if you are some of the people who are going to serve communion, why don't you grab those things and take a place around the room? Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.